Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Eddie Tate. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Something's happening tonight. <laughs> We're going to hear some good news in a minute, but um, there is a message prepared. We'll see what happens. It may not come at all. Because I feel like I might, I might share some of it because I feel like it's setting the stage for what I, I've been just feeling God's going to do. And during worship, two or three people came up to me with, I'm feeling God say this, and it all kind of lined up. It was almost like a flow of what God was about to do. And then I got a text from one of my daughters with a word of knowledge for healing. And then somebody else walked up and had a word of knowledge for the exact same thing. So we're going to go after some stuff. But how many of you know that we just sent a, a trip to New York? Well, we don't want to send people and not hear about the goodness of God and what's going on. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite Shane and the team to come on up. But they've made a quick little video. So while they're coming up, we're going to go ahead and roll the video. Seeing 
push themselves. And like that together just felt like showed the heart of our team that we weren't here just for a project. We were here for a love encounter. I came out to get my medicine from the pharmacy and I was like, I just heard like Jesus being talked about on the microphone and then I walked over and the guy was like, pray for him, pray for him. I'm like, no, no, I was just going to get my heart. And then you guys came over, I don't know for some reason, it was like, God was just like reminding me that like he still loved me and I've been through so much like in life and I kind of given up on my faith, I gave up on God. To really see you guys like sharing the love of God, it just brought me back. My faith, like my faith in God came back. And I just feel like I have something to live for now. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. It feels good. It's getting better in this room. It was already good. It's getting even better. Uh, God did amazing things on this trip. I, I tell you guys, this, this team was absolutely amazing. Many of these guys, it was their first time to ever do anything like this. Most of these guys, New York City, to do it like this was definitely a first. We saw over 60 salvations. Let's give Jesus praise. And get this, over 100 healings on the streets of New York. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. You know, I think the thing that we that God kept speaking on this trip is how the love carries the supernatural power of God. It's actually, inside of love is actually the supernatural release of God. And so if you want to know how to release the supernatural, learn how to release love into somebody's life, and you'll see amazing things happen. And that's what happened with this team. It was amazing. We went to an area called in Flatbush with Desmond and saw God do some amazing things there. The team didn't know it, or many of them didn't know it, but there were many. We walked right in the middle of a playground that was literally, we were surrounded by 
gangs, some of them extremely violent gangs, and we were ministering all over this area. It was amazing what God did there. We went to a place called Jackson Heights. It is the most diverse zip code in the United States, 160 languages spoken. We saw God do stuff there. We went to a Main Street Flushing where 100,000 people come through this area in a day on the transit system, and it's mainly Asian. We saw God do amazing things there. That first miracle you saw happen right there, and after that, we saw popcorn miracles start happen on the streets right there. We have 14 hours of video footage that Ethan put together. Ethan put together this video. Amazing. Help us tell our story. And then we went, to, we went to Harlem, and we went to 125th and Lexington. And five years ago, I walked through this area by myself, which I'm not sure was the smartest thing to do, but I walked through this area. This area is so bad. It's so bad. I, after I walked through it, I thought, I will never take a team here unless I'm invited by a pastor in the area. And this area is so drugged out. There's trash all over the streets. There are ambulances lined up to, to pick up people who are ODing right on the streets. We saw three people OD right in front of us. They took them out on stretchers. Somebody got hit by a train down below us that was ODing. And so it's just this decimated area, but we rocked it in the middle of that place. Yeah, and I want to just get a couple testimonies from our team here. Um, where's Eo? Eo, there he is. Okay, come here. So in Harlem, and I'm going to just tell part of it, they meet, they meet a lady in a wheelchair, him and a guy, Eric, from New York, and they follow her into the Salvation Army, and I want you to tell what happened from there. Okay, so we followed her over there, and then we said, can we pray for you? And she's a Christian. She was like, oh, okay, I guess, you know. And we started praying. Um, we kind of, uh, we had a word for her. We started praying, and she, we were asking her, do you have any pain on your body? She was like, Yeah. And after a couple of like minutes or so, her pain went completely. And we're like excited at this point. I was like, okay, we're going to see you walking to today. Like we're going to walk outside because she was in a wheelchair. And then we're like, okay, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying. And then we started praying. Her leg was a little bit short. One leg was short. And then we saw it grow. I was like, okay, this is, this is getting exciting. <laughs> and, and then uh, we're asking her, it's like, yeah, today's the day you're going you're gonna to walk. And she said she, when she was a kid, she saw a dream that she was walking inside a church, like she was walking. And we're like saying, declaring today's that day. We're going, we're going after that. <laughs> and then um, there's a church upstairs in the, in the building we were in. She's like, I'm going to go upstairs and ask the pastor if you guys can come and pray for me. And okay. And then after like 15 minutes or so, uh, we got invited to go upstairs in a church, in a different church that they don't even know us, but they allowed us to go in and pray for her. And as uh, we're like, hey, we can help you walk from, you know, we can help you one on each side and carry you and help you walk and she said okay and uh, as we are like helping her walk her leg was like a little bit bent and a little bit like this as she as we are helping her walk she's like walking a little bit slowly and her leg is becoming straight and straight and she's taking more steps and more steps and we're like getting excited we're like super excited and yeah, and we're like, yeah, we're going to see you today, like, walking outside this door. We want to see that. And we're like, she was so, like, she she, the, she hasn't remembered. She doesn't remember the last time she walked, like, with people helping her. And she was, like, super encouraged. Like, we, we walked in the church really good amount. And we uh, she was like, okay, I need to sit down. And we're like, okay, we're talking to her. And she's like, I'm going to go back to the... Uh, to the to the to the hospital and then have them you know like you know help me like because she hasn't walked for a really long time but yeah we declare that she was super encouraged all the pain was gone we're gonna see her next time when we go back we're gonna see her walking on the streets so <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Amazing. So this is Lauren. Lauren, all right. So have you ever done anything like this before? No. <laughs> Lauren saw several salvations. You want to tell us about one of those? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, the first day that we were out with prayer stations, I think three people came to me and were saved. And they were actually the only people that stopped to pray with me that day. <laughs> so that was beautiful. Um, but the story that keeps playing in my head is when we were in Flatbush with Desmond and um, the spirit of God just fell. Like it was there all day, but the presence was so heavy in this moment and people were coming out of every area. They were just coming because they felt the Lord. And I had a girl walk up to me. She was crying and she had two friends on either side of her, like almost helping her walk because she was so touched. And she just locked eyes with me and said, something told me to come. Something told me to come. And she just collapsed into my arms. Like she just collapsed into me. And I said, that was the Holy Spirit and you can ask it into your heart right now. And she, she just immediately, like the love of God was so evident that it called her out. She didn't know what it was and she accepted Jesus right there. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Totally amazing. Totally amazing. Is Rachel, where's Rachel? Where? Oh, come on. All right, Rachel, last day in Harlem. Her and, and Brad and a couple other guys were standing over uh, by a subway. Uh, you can bring him over here. Bring him over here. Yeah, he's all right. All right. They were standing by a subway, and some stuff started to happen on the subway. Just tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so we were standing. Is it the first part there? Yeah, so Vanessa and I went up to a lady that we were like, I don't know. She, she didn't want prayer at first, and I was like, well, this is kind of awkward, but I really feel like God wants us to pray for you, and she said her name was Anne, which is my middle name, my, my um, grandma's name, and we, she said she had lupus, and her pain was like a 10, and so we prayed for her, and it came down to an 8, and she was like, oh, thank you, and we're like, well, that's great. Let's give thanks, but let's keep praying. And so we prayed again, and it came down to a six, and she kind of wanted to leave at that point. So we're like, you know, we're going to just keep believing that God is going to continue to heal you and bring that down. And so she lingered. She kind of stayed around. And meanwhile, Vanessa and I had another lady come up who had lupus, um, which isn't very common. And we prayed for her, and her pain went away. Um, and we had another lady come with lupus. And we prayed for her, and her pain went away. And then we went back and asked Anne. I was like, so just checking, like, how are you doing? And she said, girl, I have no pain. It's a zero. So that was awesome. Wow. Amazing. Huh, lupus. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go after that. Anybody have lupus in here? Anybody? Your wife does. Would you mind standing up, sir? Anybody else? Your sister, stand up, please, for your sister. Anybody else? A friend, just stand up, yeah. Anybody, if you know someone that has lupus, you can stand for them. How about we all go for this right now? Just stretch your hand out towards you guys. If you guys get around these guys. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you, that you have power over lupus. We break 
sickness and disease off. We break lupus off in Jesus' name. We say go in Jesus' name. All the effects of lupus, all the decimation that it's created in their bodies, we say go in Jesus' name. And we speak healing of Jesus Christ, of the gospel over their bodies in the name of Jesus. Yeah, amen, amen. So guys, text, text those guys and let them know that we prayed for them and ask if anything happened in their body. And be sure and let us know before this service is over if that happened. That was amazing what was happening on the streets there. Lonnie, I want you to tell about a guy. There was a guy that uh, I didn't get to really talk to him too much about it, but um, Lonnie saw God do a lot of things. But there was a guy in Harlem that was got saved and was literally just weeping right there, the guy you gave the Bible. Yeah, then, yeah he was a guy that um, you can tell he had some Catholic background, but he didn't know God. And uh, so he had some pain, and we were just going after people. They would say, no, I'm okay. And we would just say, hey, do you have any pain in your body? And they would say, yeah. And I said, well, why do you want to keep it? Jesus is going to take it away. And so let me pray for you, and Jesus is going to heal it. And so this was one of those guys, and I said, let me pray for you. So I put my hand on him, and as soon as I put my hand on him, he began to weep because the glory fell, and he encountered love. And we began to pray, and at first it was a healing in his leg, but then he didn't even care about his leg anymore. All that he wanted to know was about this love, and he wanted a love encounter. And so we began to, I just began to lead him, and Amy and I were there, and we began to lead him through a prayer, and I said, all of heaven wants to live on the inside of you. And he says, that's what I want. And so we led him, and he's weeping, led him through a prayer of salvation. And he says, you know what? He was undone, and uh, he, he wanted a Bible. He wanted everything he can, and he began to tell us a story about how he was struggling, and we broke that poverty off of him, and it says, now you're a son, and a son doesn't have to live in poverty, and just began to declare the word of God, and he walked away celebrating. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful, guys. I just stood there, I stood there and watched as, as, as Jesus came to, you could see Jesus come live inside of this guy. <laughs> Amazing. Marissa, you've never done a trip like this. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Um, for me personally, I, I felt like um, God just broke my heart with compassion for people. Um, man, like we were in some crazy broken areas and God loves these people so much. And it was crazy. I, I prayed for this one woman that I remember in Harlem. And I mean, thousands of people just walking around. And it just this mo one moment just to make like lock eyes and it's like the volume from the chaos around would just like almost go to mute and like the presence of God would just fall. And she, same thing, like she just collapsed in tears in my, into my, my chest. Um, and it was just beautiful to see, to see people touched by the love of God that way. Um, and I also felt just, just an increase of authority, like that we carry, all of us carry um, in these areas. Like I had zero fear, zero fear, because I knew like what Jesus, like Jesus is in me, and I knew that. Um, and just the way God knitted our, our hearts together, this team was amazing, and just to watch the love of God go through each of us so differently, but so beautifully. So, yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Listen, guys. I could go on and on with each one. Every one of these guys have amazing stories. I mean, we're just kind of scratching the surface, but it was truly amazing what we saw God do. 
Uh, Brad talked about the scene breaking out in Harlem. It was so powerful. We were all getting drunk in this middle of this really difficult place where people are ODing. We're getting drunk in the spirit. We're declaring that we're not drunk as you suppose, but this is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We saw a prayer on the subways. You saw that. That was, that was fun. I think I want to go back next week and do that some more. And it was just absolutely amazing. Thank you guys for your prayer. I want to say this, guys. Revival culture works outside of the walls of the church. It works. God works in powerful ways if we will get in the love of God and we will begin to carry the gospel out into Austin, into all the world. We will, this is like the very beginning. This is first fruits of what we're seeing with Bethel Austin. There is so much more. Give yourself to it. Give yourself to the purposes of God. If God's called you to this house, and you will see things that will astonish you as the gospel goes forward in the world. Amen. Yeah, amen. All right, here's the deal. When we bless and honor others or what God's doing in someone's life, it's actually an invitation for God to do the same thing in our life. So if you want any of what these people have just experienced or talked about, I want you to stand up and put your hands towards this group. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for them. We don't need catchers because if they fall out, it's okay. God's going to take care of it. We won't worry about the musical instruments. God will heal those too. I remember I used to get so offended by this weird Christian stuff where people shake, rattled, and rolled, and then I got saved. Um, I need to be saved from my own offense, and now I'm no longer in there. So I have a feeling that what's about to happen is actually more of what God intended for tonight than anything else we had planned. And as you begin to just bless and pray for these people up here, you're actually unlocking something for God to exponentially have you receive everything that they actually sowed into. So on your own, with your words, not mine, with your words, I just want you to begin to bless and pray over this group so that they can receive an impartation of glory from this house, but that you also receive an impartation and invitation for more in your own life. Some of you only wanted a little. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in this house and through everyone that walks through this house, God. We thank you that you are a God that has no boundaries or borders, and we don't have to go to a third world country to see you move, God. We can see you move in other states, in other cities, in our own backyard, in our own houses, God. 
We thank you for what this team has done, for what they've gone to do, surrendering to you, God. And we bless them right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, so I decided I'm going to preach a little bit. Is that okay? You guys know how it works, though. We may or may not get to the message. Just as the night has gone on, I've felt such a stirring in so many directions. And there's something going to happen a little bit later tonight where God is calling us closer, God is calling us deeper. Some of us, God is calling us in. I don't know if everyone in this house knows Jesus tonight, but by the end of the night, you will know more of him than you've ever known before. And there are people that have known Jesus probably maybe their whole lives, but you've never known what's about to happen to you tonight. I had an amazing word from one of my prayer servants, and she said that there, specifically she said that there are women, but when she said it, it was a confirmation to something else that I believe is for more than just women, but I'm going to say it the way she gave it to me that there are women in here that have been through abuse or through some sort of traumatic life experiences. And that they, even though they've come out of it and they've gotten past that, they still have a lack of value for themselves. And they said that they're like the coin at the bottom of the ocean and that's how they see themselves. The problem is that coin has the same value as it does above the water too. That the value doesn't change based on where you're located. The value is never going to change because you've been marked by God. And your value is not seen in the world or how people see you. It's seen in how he sees you. But people are going to come into a new revelation of their value tonight. You're going to understand who you are. Some of you are going to rededicate your lives because your life has been sitting on the sidelines saying, I believe, but I don't know. Some of you are going to say, God, I gave you everything I thought I could, and now I'm going to give you everything I have. Something's going to shift tonight for some people. And as we're sitting here, I want you to receive your healings. When we were in prayer before this, who, who, wow, who, oh man. When we were in prayer before this, there has been an unusual amount of attacks on our team and people in this house in the area of health. And we've received so many breakthroughs in the area of healing in this house. I mean, what we've experienced in the year we've been open is more than most churches have ever seen as long as they've been around. Not that we're better. That's not what it's about. But this is what God's doing in our house in this season. But the area of attack that's coming, I actually had this very odd prayer rise up out of me. And I'm like, I was thanking the enemy. I was thanking the devil. That just sounds like a weird prayer already. But I was thanking him for coming and striking us with a stone in the area of health. Because what he was doing is he was sharpening our blade every stroke he took. And what's about to happen is that we are going to enter into a new realm of healing and health. That we're actually going to be a standard of health, not healing. See, healing is the act of going from sickness to a place of health. When you are a standard of health, health is your standard. You don't go to it. You live from it. 
So I'm going to give that the, the confirming word of knowledge. Does anybody in here have a broken arm, broken shoulder, or has had one recently, or, or one that hasn't healed correctly? Here. Anyone else? Broken arm, shoulder. Here. Okay. Your dad. See, thank you. I love faith that says, I don't have to be the one. All I have to know is that God is good. Centurion had, oh man, oh, said, I don't need you to come. I just need you to say the words. Does anyone know of anyone with a broken arm or a broken shoulder? Does anyone know what a broken arm or broken shoulder is? I want you to receive... Ooh, man, something's about to happen. I want you to receive the healing for the broken arm or broken shoulder that hasn't happened yet because God lives outside of time. So I want you to receive that right now to where somebody's arm will break in front of you and you'll be like, oh, weird, and it'll be healed instantly because you've already received the healing that was given outside of time. What if our minds could wrap around the fact that our standard of health is so strong that nothing can happen in our vicinity without immediately seeing the glory of God rectify it? Oh, man. I'm a little excited. If you're new here, I'm the crazy one. I see angels, I leak oil, and I get really excited about Jesus. <laughs> Father, right now, we just receive the healing over those shoulders, over those arms, in Jesus' name. Jesus, you paid a price, and we receive the fullness of that price right now. Father, I proclaim that this is going to be a house of health, that the standard of health will be the house's reputation that people that come will not receive healing, they will step into a place of health. Health will be the standard, it will not be the journey. I bless everyone in this room who is receiving this right now to bless the area around them to be an atmosphere of health, that wherever our feet tread, the Holy Spirit remains. Start walking your city. <laughs> Start walking your city. If you believe you received anything from God right now, say amen. amen. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Father. If some of you stood specifically because you knew someone, text them. See, I love doing that because why wait? See, faith isn't in the prayer. Faith is in the asking. A lot of people pray, but they don't ask to find out if God actually did something. See, my prayers are faith-filled, but my question is faith in action. Mm. Oh, God, where do you want to go tonight? Oh. I love the feeling. I'm a feeler. I'm a seer. And I love it when rooms like this, I can feel uncomfort. Excitement, questioning, affirmation. 
feel a little bit of everything, and I like it. I don't want to stay in a comfort zone. Does anybody else want to stay in a comfort zone? See, God is our comforter, which means we don't need to find a comfortable place. The comforter is always with you, so you should always be able to be in a place that's stretching you, challenging you, creating a place where there's a little bit of anxiety and righteous fear because the comforter is inside of you. You don't need an external comfort. Some of you like comfort foods. I know some of you are like, is that bad? Some of you like comfort friends. Those people that tell you everything you want to hear, but don't tell you what you need to hear. Oops, sorry. <laughs> See, the comforter inside me doesn't always say things are good. The comforter inside me lets me know it's okay. I can't be afraid of things being bad. I can't have fear. I can't be scared because I'm surrendered. If you're surrendered, you can't be scared. When you're scared, you're afraid of the outcome. When you're surrendered, it really doesn't matter. I might get to my message. I don't know why I keep looking at you guys, so I'm just going to say something. The couple in the very back, maroon shirt, blonde hair, gray shirt, yep, you too. Man, exactly, huh? Every time I look in this direction, I am drawn to just look at you. And what I feel like is happening is that is God's eyes are on you. That sometimes the feeling of being unseen, undervalued, you're not insecure, but sometimes there's this thought that I'm not fully seen or fully known. And God, is, God has drawn my attention to you because his attention is on you. I don't know if you're part of this family. I don't know if you're visiting, but God says that you're home. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's this church, but God's saying you're home. I don't know if that word means something to you, but you're home. God is just smiling upon you. Wow. Yeah, and especially, um, sir, I don't know who you are, but I really feel like there's an affection of God over you right now. That there's literally, it's almost like what I'm, ooh, what I'm feeling is the Father's pleasure. See, I'm not that kind of preacher that can preach through crying, so if I start crying, we may put a pause on it for a minute. I'm going to embarrass her a little bit. So my daughter was up here singing tonight. I have five daughters, and I cannot tell you the amount of times that I will glance at them, and I am holding back the floodgates because of the pleasure of God I see in my children. Not because of what they're doing, but because of who they are. And when I'm looking at you right now, sir, I feel like that's what God's doing. Is he is looking at you and he is, he is, he's tearfully 
and just extravagantly blessed to look at you as his son. And that you are loved beyond your understanding. Yeah, just bless you. Wow. Mm. Well, I do want to preach a little bit on the message that I had. I've been feeling this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And just the way the night went, I feel like some of the keys are important for where we're going. But I, want to, I just want to talk about just some keys to sustaining momentum. How many people feel like you've had some momentum in your life in the area of God recently? Now, let's be real. How many of you feel like the brakes have been shut, uh, you know, hit hard on the area of God in your life? I mean, that, that's a reality. If everybody's always in this, God's always good and always doing amazing things in my life, you're probably not in the reality realm. See, there are times when we're not aware of him and we think things are bad or we think that he's not doing something or even as we've got this strange thought that we're doing something wrong when God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. And if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he cannot leave. How many of you know when your liver's working? You can feel it. Oh, yeah, liver's doing good now. Whew. Oh, spleen, there you go. I mean, how many of you can feel all of your organs working the way they're supposed to? No. Does that mean they've left for that moment? Your awareness doesn't dictate if he's there or not. Sustaining momentum. No matter where you are right now today, God is doing something in your life. It's impossible for him not to be if you know him. Actually, it's impossible for him to not be doing something in your life whether you know him or not. Because he's pursuing you even before you know him. But sustaining momentum. How many of you have felt, not just personally, but in this house, even what's going on with Bethel Austin and the city of Austin have felt like, God, you're about, you're pushing forward. Something new is coming. Something big is coming. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, smack yourself and raise your hand. I'm just going to tell you something big's coming and God's doing something in this city. God's in the business of continuing what he started. I remember hearing this once, and I loved it. God said, let there be light. Still, there's still light. It didn't stop after he said it. Well, God starts, he plans to continue. Philippians says, being confident in this, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What he begins, he's going to continue. There are some keys. Now, this isn't the exhaustive list. This isn't everything you need to sustain momentum. These are just keys that God's highlighted to me. Because we could spend the next 10 years talking about all the different keys to sustaining momentum. Because they're individual, they're ever-changing, and each one of them has a different purpose in a different season. 
But here are some foundational keys that I want us to think about and I want us to really put some focus to if we want to continue moving forward in the momentum that God started. You guys okay with that? Number one, we need to be kingdom focused. Some of these are going to seem almost elementary, pretty simple, obvious. Yet sometimes those are the ones that we forget the most. We get complacent with the things that are the easiest sometimes and we forget to actually focus on them. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom. Amen. There's the message. <laughs> if we could honestly do that with our lives, with every decision, every thought, every action, if we could seek first the kingdom, everything else I'm talking about would actually not matter. So we have to seek the kingdom first. We have to understand that everything we do should be from a kingdom perspective. Otherwise, we're living towards heaven, not from heaven. And my Bible says I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. And my Bible says it's to make heaven on earth. So if I'm supposed to bring that kingdom to this world, if I'm looking from here up there, I'm desiring something instead of administering something to the earth. You can't walk to the cross once you've been saved. You have to walk from the cross once you've been saved. You can't walk to forgiveness once you've been forgiven. You have to walk from forgiveness. We have to start thinking from a kingdom perspective. Seek first the kingdom. See, until God inside of you is enough, nothing else ever will be. If the God that's inside of you doesn't satisfy everything you need, want, or desire, then nothing will ever be able to satisfy you. We can't regret where we are, but we have to remember where we're going. And we have to have the freedom that comes not asking the what's, the how's, the where's, but we need to acknowledge the who we're doing it with. It doesn't matter how I get there. It doesn't matter when I get there. None of that really matters. It matters who I get there with. If I don't get there with him, I've done it on my own, which means it's probably going to die pretty quickly. You have to trust in God regardless of your situation. See, what we don't know or what we don't understand actually points to the area that we need to have the greatest faith. See, we should... We should be excited and joyful and we should be living, desiring the mysteries of God as much as the revelation of God. See, revelation is him answering and giving us insights to what he's wanting us to know. But mystery is saying, there's an area that I want you to seek out in me. There's something I want you to find more of. The mysteries have to be just as important to us as the revelation. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. Who? That would preach, huh? That's a good idea. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children's and our children forever. 
See, the second key we need to have is we need to have a generational, a multi-generational mindset. We need to live multi-generationally. That's a really fun word, multi-generationally. I honestly believe that if you do something for God that doesn't have a generation mindset, then it will probably die with you. Which means the glory is going to go to you as much as it's going to go to him. Because if something stops when you stop, that means you were the one that was the key factor of it, being hap- of it happening. But when you think multi-generationally, you usually don't get credit because it's seen as something that everyone has access to. Which means he gets the glory. I love Proverbs 22.6. Train your child up as they should go, and they will not depart. What are you going to do for the generation behind you, the next generation? And what are we doing right now? Some of you may say, well, I'm doing X, Y, Z. Some of you are saying, I don't know what I'm doing. All of us are doing something for the next generation. All of us. You're either doing it accidentally or intentionally. Doing it with the generation invites a handoff. Doing it without them makes you feel like they're taking it from you. See, the independent spirit is actually such a clever device to keep the generation separated. Because what it does is it says to the older generation, I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing and I'm afraid and I'm not going to invite you in because you do it differently. But then it makes the younger generation say, I don't like the way you do it and I can do it better so I'm going to go do it. The problem is is that We have no generational blessing in that place. We have people restarting a process that should have been continued from. It's just being done differently now. I know I've I've been preaching out of this a lot because this story, I just can't seem to stop reading it. David and Goliath, just the story of David around that time, David and Goliath, I love that. And I, I think the last time I was up here, I was talking about the giants, and I, I touched on it, but there's this interchange between David and Saul when he's about to go fight Goliath. And I'd always heard it talked about, it's about like, oh, Saul tried to force him to put his armor on, and David said, can't do it, I'm doing it my way. How many of you have ever heard that story? 18 of us, Awesome. You know, if you don't want to read your Bible, there's movies out there you could watch. There's, there's children's books about the story. I mean, VeggieTales has even done something. I mean, come on. See, when I read that story, I actually feel a different feeling and a compassion inside of it that Saul acknowledging that David was about to do something that no one else was going to do said, here, take what I have Because it's what I know. Take everything I have to go and do this. 
See, in David being the younger generation, and this is a key for a younger generation. Some of the younger generation in here may be in their teens, their 20s. Some of the younger generation may be in their 50s right now, just, just to put that straight. I don't want everyone like 40 and over being, yep, you young whippersnappers, you just listen to him right now. Do they say whippersnappers in Texas? That's where it started. <laughs> I love it. See, David, being a younger generation, actually said this. Or it, it, he doesn't say it, but it shows he tried on the armor. He didn't reject it, saying, I don't do things your way. That's an old way of thinking. He tried it on. There's a key in there. It says, and then he fastened his sword to it. Doesn't say he put Saul's sword. Says he put on Saul's armor and then he fastened his sword to it. So what he did is he actually said, I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm going to try it that way. I'm also going to take a little bit of what I have and see. And then he said, and, he, and it did not work because he had not tested it. So he took it off and went in his own. I believe that part of David's success is that he actually acknowledged what the older generation was offering before he went out to fight what wasn't being fought by anyone else. There's a key there. We have to accept what the people before us have done and what they're offering us. Not reject it because we don't understand it. Not reject it because we don't like it. Not reject it because we can look at it and say that doesn't fit. Try it on. Add some of who you are to it. And if it doesn't work, you've honored. And in honoring, you actually step out of that place into a place of victory. That was for free. See, both doing things intentionally and accidentally are creating an environment for the next generation to step into. Both are creating an environment. But we can't get comfortable in our blessings. See, I think a lot of people don't understand blessing or gifts or inheritance. And you can tell when people don't understand inheritance or gifts or blessing because they actually receive it and then try to earn it. How many of you have ever watched somebody do that? It looks a little out of place. How many of you was that person the one you see in the mirror? More hands went up there than the first time. There have been many times that I've received a gift and tried to earn it. Sometimes very obviously tried to earn it. Sometimes indirectly tried to earn it. But what I've actually done is I've tethered myself to the past and said, I can't move forward in this blessing because I'm actually trying to earn it. I received something, then I went backwards trying to earn it, and I can't move forward in it. Well, how can I hand a blessing or an inheritance to a generation after me if I'm working to earn it? When you understand a blessing or an inheritance or a gift from God, you actually have to take it and steward it to give it to the next generation. You need to quit trying to earn it or justify it or make sense of it. Is this okay? We doing all right?
I believe that some of you may have been here when this happened, but when we first came to Austin, see, the, the, the team, a lot of the team's been here almost two years now. And how many of you have ever, you know, heard of somebody going to plant a church from another church and that original church, they bless and honor and send the person? How many of you ever heard of that happening? Okay. There's, there's quite a significance to that. When, you're, when you are sent with a blessing to do something, you... you you leave with an inheritance and a blessing. You, you actually start off cheating. It's really cool. You've, you've got an ace in your hand. But something significant happened when we came here to Austin. And there were some leaders in the city, fathers of the faith. And one of the churches in this city actually dedicated their services one weekend to receiving Bethel Austin to this city. I'd never heard or seen that before. I've heard of being sent, but I hadn't heard of being received. The spiritual significance and the impact of that weekend, I really truly believe is a large part of why we are walking in what we're walking in today. Because it wasn't, oh great, here comes someone else. It was welcome. And the fathers actually spoke something and prayed something that I thought, man, this... I, I want to have this alive in my life, and I want my children to have it alive in their life, and I want it to continue forever and ever. Amen. And they said, you are going to receive the inheritance, and you're going to receive the harvest of what we've sown and haven't seen. There's something significantly powerful about allowing and actually giving a generation the harvest and inheritance that you worked for. That's generational mindsets. When you're not tied to the outcome, you're tied to the blessing. You don't care if it manifests in your hands or the hands in somebody else. Ben hit it, generosity. It's the same spirit. There's a spirit of generosity. When you can say, I've spent my whole life for this one thing, why don't you go ahead and take the promise of this? Think about if every person you knew had that mindset towards you. Some of you are starting to smile. Some of you know wealthy people. Because <laughs> that's usually where our minds go. They want to be generous? <laughs> but what if in the areas of compassion and grace and forgiveness and love and finances and this, and that. What if in every area of every person you knew, what if every area of their life was given freely to you to receive? Kind of sounds like what Jesus did. We get to receive everything he paid for. Another key is we need to have passion and hunger for God. How many of you are passionate for God? <laughs> See, I love it when you bring a heavy message, then you say that, and you hear a couple, whoo. Man, passion's exploding in this place. How many of you excited for God? Whoo. I just felt the heavens tremble. Three angels up there went, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a passionate person. I don't, I don't want to just look like a Christian. I want to burn with the fire of God inside of me. I want to scare everyone around me. See, people that have known me for even a little bit of time are like, doing good. See, I say that in jest, but I also mean that in the way that I want to scare a Christian to be a more on fire Christian. I want to scare sick people into believing they can be healed. I want to scare demoniacs into knowing you're in the wrong house. See, I want to live a life that challenges every person that sees me because they see a fire and a flame that they have access to but may not have a hold of. I remember when I first got saved, I was a little outspoken and radical. I know it's hard to believe. I, I honestly, when I first got saved, I used to walk around and just scream the name of Jesus. At work, in the grocery store. I mean, it, it just, if I thought about him, I said it. Very awkward for a lot of people. It's, it's amazing. I thought my deodorant didn't work because most people walked about eight feet away from me. I think it's because they were worried I was going to scream at any one point. But I remember somebody once told me, hey, you're always so just outspoken about your faith. It's actually intimidating to a lot of the people in our group. It was a group that we were, a Christian group. It was part of the church we were in. The leader of this group was like, hey, it, it kind of intimidates a lot of people. They're like, they're afraid to be around you. <laughs> Is it bad that I was like, good. <laughs> but I mean, they, I, I was really new to the faith. And I actually said, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to offend. Like my heart is not to offend people. My heart is to challenge people, not to offend people. And I, I really was hurt by the fact that I could be making people feel less because I wanted to be more. And I took it as, oh, I must be putting people down to make myself look better. That wasn't it, but it's how people felt. And so I changed. I slowed down a little. Quit screaming the name of Jesus. I'd still say it but I'd watch and see who's around. I became a really good Christian. And then I had another person come up to me a short while later and say, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. They're like, kind of lost your zeal. I'm like, oh, no, no. I just want to honor the people Make sure that everybody feels good because that's what church is supposed to be, right? But you guys come here to feel good, right? Like everybody wants to be comfortable and I don't want to be challenged or scared or told I'm not where I should be. Like you want to know that you come here and you're told you're doing great. You've got your Christian, your Christian you know, tag on. 
You've got your WWJD. They don't even make those anymore. I'm dating myself. You've done all the right things. You're a good Christian. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Who's here for that? Smart not to raise your hand. Um, we don't believe in stoning, but I thought I was worried for a second. Just kidding. Sorry. Like I said, I'm the weird one. But this guy challenged me and he said, you know, there's a difference between being offensive and being on fire. And people need to see you burn for Jesus because that's how they're attracted to the light. I don't know. Just the simple way he said it gave me permission. You thought I was crazy before. I'd run up and grab you and start running with you and, Jesus! Some of you are like, I'm sitting in the third row. Next time, you can't get to me there. I want my light to be the bright, I want the light inside of me and my fire for God to be the brightest thing in darkness. I want it to be the thing that challenges someone that's on fire to burn brighter, to burn hotter. This is a weird thought. I was a new Christian, but I thought, man, if I can actually catch on fire, I bet heaven can see me more. Some of you are laughing. I really did think that. I used to want to glow in the dark. Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus. Everybody's like, he's a nightlight. Shake him and he starts glowing. It's just. See, passion and hunger are key to momentum. Being a passionate and hungry for God is just, it's a key to momentum. The challenge is, is that passion and hunger can, can draw you one of two directions. It can take you deeper into faith or it can actually take you into frustration. I mean, that's just the truth. How many of you have been so faith-filled and on fire for God, but you actually got frustrated because what you desired wasn't manifesting the way you thought it should? Or... I've been contending for so long and I haven't seen. And so my fire begins to dwindle to a simmer because we figure it'll cook better if it's on a low simmer rather than a big flame. When we attach our passion and hunger to expectancy... We are saying, God, I'm leaning into what you want in my life. When we attach our hunger and passion to an expectation, we're saying, God, I'm leaning into what I want in my life. And we're saying, God, I want this, answer it. We're usually going to be disappointed in those areas. When we say, God, I want what you want. The expectancy in you rises because it's always answered and fulfilled. And the timeline isn't set in expectancy where it is an expectation. Expectancy means it's coming. Expectation is when. 
Trust me, I've leaned into expectation a lot. I mean, all of us probably have done it one time or another. And it's hard. And it challenges us. And whenever you're in a place where you're feeling challenged by your faith, you need to reevaluate on what you're leaning into, your desires or his. The reality is, the more you lean into his desires, the more you realize they're actually yours anyways. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will grant you the desires of your heart. See, do you realize that every desire in your heart was actually a seed planted by God in the first place? But when you say, God, I want you to water my, my seed, he's like, oh, let's see how that works out for you. When you say, God, I want to lean into you. Whoa, where'd that come from? Something's fruitful. Something's birthing. Something's coming alive in my life. Why? Because I'm focused on him, which means my desires actually become realized. Expectancy versus expectation. You need to have a passion and a hunger in God, but... See, you can't ever really lose passion. How many of you ever heard people... How many of you have said, I've just lost my passion? Two people. Wow. How many of you ever heard somebody, you know, those other people, say, oh, I just lost my passion? You can't lose your passion. You can walk away from it. You can drop it. You can quit focusing on it, but you can't lose it. Oh, I just lost my left knee. Yep, it's gone. I lost it. How many of you had people in your lives go, um, no, it's right there? How many of you had people in your life say, you haven't lost anything? See, a key is when somebody goes, man, you used to be so passionate about. Those are people actually highlighting an area that you actually have walked away from. You can't let your feelings dictate your reality. Your feelings cannot be the thing that say this is what's real in my life because it's how I feel. How many of you, and be honest, how many of you right now can tangibly feel the presence of God? Not everyone. So does that mean he's only here with those that raise their hand? I mean, if you don't feel encouraged, be encouraging. If you don't feel passionate, be passionate. How many of you don't feel loved? Well, start be loving. See, you need to be, take action to the things that you're not feeling. Do you know when I looked up the word passion, more than half of the definitions in several different versions of dictionaries are action or tangible things. They're not the emotion or the feeling. The word passion is actually not recognized as a feeling or emotion more than half the time. It's an action. Don't let your feelings deny your reality. Take action and do something with it. This is a big one. Oh boy. 14 minutes. 
do I open this can? Uh, yeah. We need self-discipline. All the parents are saying, amen. <laughs> Self-discipline is the ability to choose what we want for the future instead of what we want right now. The ability to choose what we want for the future rather than what we want right now. See, the area that most people can preach on about this is the area of finance. Because we make decisions about our wants and our desires now, which inhibit our future. I mean, honestly, it's the base conversation for every financial planner out there. Why? Because they understand that if you don't make decisions for your future, you'll never get there. That's an easy place to start talking about it, but that's a part of every aspect of our lives. What is it that we want for our future that we're actually working away from because of what we're wanting right now? I mean, how many of you have raised kids ever? Okay, how many of you know what kids are? How many of you watched other people's kids and you know this message is for them? Self-discipline. It's things like reading your Bible, praying, worshiping. You guys agree with that? Yeah, that's easy. See, that, 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 shouldn't, that shouldn't be an area of discipline. It needs to be, but it shouldn't have to be. But it's spending time with those people that just don't rub you the right way. Family, coworkers, friends. See, it's, it's cleaning bathrooms. It's serving in kids' church. Some of you are like, amen for that guy. <laughs> hey. It's missing out on the feed me so you can, I want to help feed them. Discipline's more than just our Christian acts. It's how we live our lives. See, it's funny to me that in the church, oh, I'm going to count how many people leave. Um, it's funny how in the church, there's this concept that I don't need discipline, I'm anointed. God gave me a word. I'm supposed to preach. God gave me a word. I, I'm a minister. I'm anointed. We sometimes think we sometimes think that when God announces something over your life, that it's a now word. I'm anointing you to raise the dead. Great, somebody die. See, the problem is, is that you don't realize you're walking around trying to kill people. Because you want to see your anointing come to pass. 
when sometime your anointing is serving the parking lot. <laughs> Our parking lot leader is like, come on, hallelujah. That's a word from the Lord. Hey, we had, I think, more people serving in our parking team this week than, come on, give it up for that group. So I've mentioned a couple times the story of David. Just kind of happened to be reading that once or twice. How many of you have ever read your Bibles? How many of you own a Bible? How many of you refuse to raise your hand regardless of what I say? There's always someone. 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed king. Everybody remember that story? Mm -hmm. If you haven't, go watch VeggieTales. Samuel comes to Jesse's house. He's looking for the person to anoint as king. All the brothers but David are brought before him. The strongest, the one that's obviously the right choice, Eliab. Samuel's like, well, gosh, he's got to be the right one. God's like, don't look at his outside. I've already said no to him. He goes through all of the brothers. No, 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 no. Do you have another one? Yeah, he's the young one out there. Taking care of the sheep. That right there should be a key in our lives. It's out there taking care of the sheep. Bring him in. This is God's chosen one. He is anointed king. Now, chronologically, there is no specific records of when these things happened. But I've done a lot of research, and that action would have probably happened somewhere around the age of 10 to 15. David's age would have been 10 to 15 more things have said around 13 just because of where he was in station where his brothers were. Now, fast forward. We go to 1 Samuel 17. How many of you realize that's the book after 16? Just, just so you're keeping track. Guess where David is? He's out tending the sheep. He's just doing his thing. Yeah, exactly. Still, he was anointed king. See, he was anointed, but he didn't forget who he was. So he's out tending sheep. And his father, Jesse, says, Now, take now for your brothers this ephath of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brother's camp. Because his three older brothers were on the battle lines with Saul watching Goliath defy them. And no one was able to go there. Jesse sent David to take food and provisions to his brothers and then to bring back a report. Does that sound like something you would ask a king to do? No. And all of you have read your book and you know that David said, I'm king, I don't need to do that. Right? Is that what he did? See, I don't believe the story of Goliath would have ever been written if David had the attitude that the anointing that happened to him made him above who he was called to be on a daily basis. 
Just because you're anointed doesn't mean it's your time. See, sometimes God will wrap your destiny in your daily activities. See, because what happened is he went ahead and did his... Da- See, David didn't realize he was in 1 Samuel 17. He didn't realize that he was about to go fight Goliath. He didn't know these things like we do. See, we get to read the book and go, oh, of course I would have done the same thing. It's because you know the end. He didn't know that. He was just doing what his father told him. But in doing his daily things, serving and being the son he was supposed to be, he stepped into a place and saw someone defiling the name of the Lord, and he said, I'm not okay with this. Why isn't everyone else okay with this? See, David stepped into his destiny by doing his daily duties. Another key is that you can't be distracted by an enemy or by something that's supposed to keep you from what you're supposed to conquer. Because what happened when David got to the camp? First thing that happens is he, he brings it and he says, why isn't anyone doing something to this Philistine? What, what happens for the guy that actually kills this guy? And his brother Eliab begins to come down on him. And he, he gets into an argument with him. You see, you can't be distracted and fight with what you're supposed to fight for. He was fighting for God's chosen. His brother was a part of that. So he had a choice. I'm either going to fight with my brother because he's challenging me and where I am, or I'm going to fight the enemy that I've been sent to conquer. He didn't know this, but he had a design and a plan to conquer Goliath. He could have been distracted by the fight, or he could step into the conquering. See, some of you married people, you're fighting with what you should be fighting for. Some of you family members, you're fighting with. Some of you kids, some of you adults, you're fighting with what you're supposed to be fighting for. Put your focus in the right direction. Lastly, we need to recognize that what sustained us yesterday is not meant to sustain us for tomorrow. You know, there are so many people that live through the breakthrough of yesterday. Man, I had such breakthrough. And you stay there. You break through into a blessing and you hold on to the blessing. You're like, I'm blessed. Not realizing that that is supposed to now be put down so you can receive a blessing. When you hold on to past breakthroughs, again, you're keeping yourself from stepping into new breakthroughs. It's funny, I was just talking to somebody about, I don't know why this is making me think of this. The wild mind of Eddie Tate. It's talking to somebody about crosses and crucifixes. And I'm not putting down the Catholic Church or any church that has a crucifix. I'm not putting them down. I, I, there's a lot of amazing things coming out of those churches and those people. But when you look at a crucifix and you actually start to worship it, you're worshiping something that's happened. When you worship 
something that's happened, you inhibit yourself from stepping into what's supposed to come. See, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what's happened is supposed to point us forward, not backwards. And if you're worshiping a past breakthrough, you're actually worshiping something that was supposed to move you forward, but you've turned around and put your back to your future. Sometimes the biggest barrier between us and our blessings is not the challenges around us, but it's our expectation for God to show up in the same way he used to or did in the past. Sometimes you're expecting God to do it again, but you've attached that do it again to the same way, the same method, the same timing. You've put an expectation on how God's going to move instead of expectancy that he always does. So really quick, we need to kingdom focus. We need to live multi-generational lives. We need to have passion and hunger for God. We need self-discipline. And we need to recognize that what sustained us yesterday does not sustain us tomorrow. There was this feeling tonight just in the worship. There was this feeling with the, the New York team and what they were doing. There's just been this feeling in the air for weeks that we are about to break into something so huge. I don't know. The, the way that I've been able to describe it to people is I feel like, how many of you have ever surfed? I know it's probably not that big here in Texas, but how many of you have ever watched people surf? How many of you know what a surfboard is? Okay. If you ever watch surfers, they get out, they paddle out past the break or right where it's breaking, and they sit up on their board and they wait and they start to read the break. And surfers get to where they begin to know what's coming. They can see what's coming. And when the right swells, they turn and position themselves for what is about to come. I actually feel like I'm sitting on this board going... Oh, man. I, I'm afraid to turn. I'm afraid to... I, I mean, it's a holy, righteous fear. But I have this feeling. It's like, oh, I can't ride this. I'm not going to be able to control myself in this wave. And it excites me. I honestly haven't been tumbled around by God for a while, and I'm ready. I'm ready to feel out of control. I'm ready to feel like I'm not deciding what God's doing or being the one. I'm ready to just be completely obliterated in his goodness and his glory. I want people to walk up and say, what's going on? And I'm like, I, I, I. I had nothing wrong with that. Worship team, come on up. I want, and I actually see, and I have this expectancy inside of me that says, oh man, God, something's coming that I'm not sure I'm ready for. And I feel like even in the wave, I hear the voice of the Father saying, it's okay, I know you're ready. God's not going to put us into something we're not ready for. We may not understand. We may not even function well. 
we may not even know what the word ready means. See, ready in itself is an expectation. It means I'm prepared for what's coming. I don't want to be prepared for what God's doing next. I want to be in the awe and splendor of the surprise nature of God. I want to see something so powerful that it impacts my life to a place that in 10 generations they're talking about what happened. That it's not something that happens because of us, it happens besides us. I feel honored that God would allow me to be in such a time and place that he's going to do something so amazing that I can take no credit and actually have no ability to explain what's going on. And the only thing I'm going to be able to get out of my mouth is, it's Jesus. How many of you are ready for that? How many of you said that because you know you're supposed to, but you're freaked out? See, I can honestly say there's the side of me that's like, yes, God! And there's a side of me that's going, um... I do like a little bit of security. I do want to know I'm going to be okay. But then there's a part of me that's like, God, if it's you, I'm always going to be okay. And what I think is okay isn't necessarily what you think is okay. I'm ready to be in a place where I am so given to what he's doing that people that knew me don't recognize me anymore. What if God comes in such a way that all of us need to quit our jobs? What if God comes in such a way that food isn't needed? Some of you are like, but the queso. <laughs> you know, I've had these wild thoughts, though. I've had these thoughts that what if the power and presence of God came in such a way that we didn't function the way that we've, ta we've been taught you have to function? What if our normal ways of eating and drinking and sleeping actually are radically changed because of what he's doing? What if there's a presence of God that's so tangibly real that all provision is met without anyone doing anything to get there? And I'm not talking just finances. I'm talking everything. What if Austin, and those of you that have been here for a while are going to hate this, what if Austin's population goes to 20 million in the next six months because the draw of what God is doing here calls every corner of the earth to come and experience what he's doing? Some of you are like, I'm buying real estate now. <laughs> I don't know if they put the sign up. I see a lot of people getting their children. If you, if you have to go get your children, go get them and bring them back in. I always tell you that. I, I, I'm not into the go get your kids and go home. That's comfortable. But raise your child as they should go. Let them experience what you're experiencing. I'm not going to get into any details, but 
during worship tonight, I was overwhelmed and overcome by this man right here. Wow. I was actually watching Caleb worship tonight, and I remember thinking, I don't know what's going on in his life right now, but he's got something I want. There is a level of breakthrough and a level of something on Caleb right now. I almost gave him the service tonight. That would have freaked him out. <laughs> but I literally was so overcome by just watching him worship. There was something significant in the spirit on his life. And I've talked to him and I'm, I'm honestly, in some ways, I'm handing the rest of this over to him. Because I need to receive whatever he's walking in right now. And I don't know where we're going, but all I know is that every one of us in here could use something more. There's something available to everyone in this room. There are upgrades available. There are new beginnings available. There are breakthroughs that you've been contending for 40 years for that are available. And there's dreams going to be realized that you never knew existed tonight. But I want to ask right now, I, don't, I, I, I never care if there is or not because that's not what it's about, but is there anyone in here tonight that whether you have or haven't, it doesn't matter, but is there anyone here tonight that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Like you've heard about him, you've maybe even done the church thing, but you actually, you don't have a relationship with God. Is there anyone in here that you've just, you've never had that relationship with God? If so, raise your hand. If I missed your hand, I'm sorry. If, if, if there's anyone, stand up and wave it so I can see. But if not, praise God. Then that means everyone here, we're family. We've all been just, we've been received into the family of God. We're all Christians. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Oh, even as I said that, that's about to happen. Oh, man. Okay. Ah. All right, this is what we're going to do. Making a slight change now. We're going to spend about five minutes or so just letting Caleb lead us, but I think I want us to do a fire tunnel tonight. Those of you that don't know what a fire tunnel are, if you don't know what a fire tunnel is, we line up a bunch of people, we light matches and torches, and I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. See, the funny thing is, is people that haven't been around that culture, they think that's about as crazy as it is when they actually see it. But what a fire tunnel is, is it's just us believing that we're going to have a, a, a group of people lined up, and we're just believing for the power and presence of God to be manifest. And as everyone walks through that group of people like a tunnel, that you are receiving everything that's available with God. It's not about the people praying. It's not about anything like that. It, it sometimes gets really weird, and it doesn't have to be. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be weirded out by what happens. Some people fully manifest, and their body goes crazy. I used to judge that until I realized I was judging God. 
because I don't know how you're experiencing God. And if I don't like it, I shouldn't judge it. I should just bless it. Because here's the reality. If what you're doing is fake or what you're doing isn't God and I bless you in the name of Jesus, I'm blessing you in the name of Jesus. I'm not blessing what's happening. I don't care about manifestations. I care about his presence. So when we do this fire tunnel, some people may manifest. Some of you will never feel a thing walking through it. And that doesn't mean there's any less or more happening to anyone in the tunnel. Because the presence of God is here for everyone the exact same. So while Caleb is doing this, I want to actually invite up the New York team. I want you to come line up right here. You're going to be one side of this tunnel. And then I want to invite up our core team, ministry team leaders. Sandra, I actually want the prayer team to go through tonight. I want them to receive. They pour out so much. I want them to receive. So core team, ministry team, get on this side. New York team on this side. If you're on both the teams, you have to divide yourself. So what I want us to do, I want everyone to just stand. And I want Caleb, as you're here in the front, I want you to just receive as well. But I'm going to have Caleb, and it could be anybody else on the team up here too, but I want them to just lead us for a few minutes. I felt like there was something about us not necessarily worshiping ourselves, but actually receiving the blessing of God over us tonight. I feel like this team and what Caleb is carrying is going to be released over us. It's not going to be us express. Does everybody understand that? We're not going to be doing the worshiping. We're actually going to be receiving for a little while. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.